This podcast is a production of Faith Living Church. If you like what you hear, join us for church sometime in our Plantsville, Connecticut location, Saturdays, 6 p.m. or Sundays, 9 and 11 a.m. or online anytime at faithlivingchurch.com. Well, we've been talking about horizontal, and now is the time for us to really go horizontal. You know, vertical, it's just the, the, the great commands. The vertical, you know, part of the cross is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. And then horizontal is to love your neighbor as yourself. And we're talking about to love our neighbor and serve them as, as, as we love ourselves. Well, one evening, Bennett Scherf, the co-founder of Random House, He appeared on the NBC radio program called Conversation. And the panelists on this particular show were asked to spend the entire 30-minute program that night discussing just one question. What are you most afraid of? The panelists went at it, dialoguing and debating that topic for more than 20 minutes, and they talked about a wide range of fears, but finally they decided on the one thing they were most afraid of, annihilation by the nuclear bomb. That's the conclusion they came to. And after the panelists had reached that consensus, the moderator noticed that Bennett uh, Surf had been unusually quiet throughout the vigorous discussion. In fact, he hadn't said a word. And when prodded, Surf replied in a a very humble voice that he had hesitated to answer the question truthfully because he was afraid that his concern would seem so trivial beside the vast issues that others had introduced. But he went on to say that since the point of the program was to share what you really thought, he might as well admit what he feared most. And what he feared most was not being loved. His greatest fear was not being loved. That's the great fear that, you know, haunts all humankind. We want to be loved. We, we want to be recognized. We, we want others to think well of us. And we have a need to belong. What a great opportunity we have right now because I uh, assure you that that feeling is in so many people that you'll meet from day to day of just this craving, this desire to be loved. John chapter 13, verse 35 says, Your love for one another, your love for one another, will prove to the world that you're my disciples. Your love for each other will prove to the world that you're my followers. And uh, when you don't know what to do, do the most helpful things. Have you ever been in a situation you didn't know what to do? I still don't even know what to do. Well, you do the most helpful things that you can do. You, you never go wrong with that. Ephesians chapter 5 Verse 1 in the Message Bible, it says, watch what God does. Watch what God does, and then you do it. And if you want to just kind of point at your neighbor and say, he's talking about you. He's talking about you. 
Watch what God does. You can watch him in his word. You can watch him in real life. You know what God's on the move doing. And then you do it like children who learn proper behavior from their parents. Mostly what God does is love you. That's mostly what he does. And all of his care for you, all that he provides is nothing more than his demonstration of love for you. Keep company with him. That's what the scripture says. For us to keep company with, with God and, and learn a life of love. Just can't hardly get no better than that. Observe how Christ loved us. And then it says in John 15, 12, it says, and Jesus is speaking, says, this is my commandment. Love each other in the same way that I love you. You love each other that way. You know, in, in loving and, and serving, you're most like Christ. When you're loving others and you're serving them, you're, you're more like Christ than anything else that you can possibly do. And verse 13 says, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friend. And we know Jesus literally laid down his life for us. But in this day and time, sometimes we're just laying down our life as far as uh, our wills and our ambitions and things like that. We lay those down in order to serve others and to demonstrate our love for them. A would-be bandit walked into a mini-mart store and he ordered Donna uh, LaSalle to hand over the contents of the cash register. As she opened it, she asked, is $25 really worth a police record? And when the young man replied that a man must eat, she suggested, rather than me phoning police over $25, I'll give you a sandwich and a couple apples. And the man agreed that it sounded like a better idea, and he ate the sandwich and the apples. It's a pretty good deal there. She saved him from a, a police record for $25. Hmm. I think that's going horizontal. I think she loved her neighbor. Matthew chapter 5, verse 44 in the Message Bible, it says, I'm telling you to love your enemies. Would you consider somebody who's holding a gun at you and trying to rob the cash register, would you consider them an enemy? I think you could classify it, at least at that particular moment. And Jesus said, I'm telling you to love your enemies. Let them bring out the best in you. Whoa. Not the worst. Did you know that was there? He says, when your enemies are there, let them bring out the best in you. And I know many of you, and I've seen the best come out of you at times when you are being attacked in many different kinds of ways. Let it bring out the best in you instead of the worst. So Jesus is telling us right here in his word. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with the supple moves of prayer. You begin to pray for them. For then you are working out your truest selves, your God-created selves. This is what God does. He gives his best. Does God really give his best? What was the best that he gave us? His son, Jesus. He does give the best. You know, 
to those who are even his enemies, who opposed him. In Ephesians chapter 5, picking up here, it says here, Observe how Christ loved us. His love was not cautious, but exaggerated. Extravagant. And, and it was. It was over generous. It was extravagant kind of love. I'm not talking about, well, just barely enough to get you through here. I'm talking about over generous. I'm talking about extravagant love. This is amazing. Observe how Christ loved us. It was extravagant. I mean, he gave his very life. He took the beatings. He went to the cross in our place. And he had the power to prevent it all. But somebody had to pay for what we'd done. And he, it was extravagant what he did for us. Observe how Christ loved us. His love was not cautious, but extravagant. He didn't love in order to get something from us. But he loved to give everything of himself to us. Jesus was unselfish. Are we unselfish most of the time? That answers the question right there. Our silence. <laughs> well, I don't know. And he said, here, you know, he, he loved us in order to give us everything of himself. And then the last three words I want to read there, it says, love like that. Unselfish. Love like that. To give other people something. Love like that. Galatians chapter 6 verse 10 says, Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone. Now what percentage would you consider everyone? 100%. So we don't have to go, well, should I love that person? If they're a person, love them. He says we're to do good to everyone, even a would-be bandit. You give him a sandwich and a couple of apples and a little bit of good, noble advice. And then he goes on to say, especially to those in the family of faith, especially those who are closest to you, love them. Do good to them, especially to those in the house hold of faith. True greatness lies not in trying to be somebody. True greatness lies in trying to help somebody. Are we on the lookout every day? Is there somebody I can help? Is there somebody I can do something good for today? You know? That's going horizontal. That's loving my neighbors and love myself. Some strangers to Lord Shaftbury were to meet him at the railroad station. And they asked, how shall we know his lordship? And the answer was challenging. When you see a tall man getting off the train and he's helping somebody, that will be Lord Shaftbury. Sure enough, a tall man alighted from a coach carrying in one hand his suitcase and in the other hand three bundles of a little old working lady. Think about this for a moment. Are you known for, for, for serving people? Are you known for helping if someone says, 
Well, how am I going to know her? How am I going to know him? Well, when you go there, they're going to be helping somebody. Somehow, some way, they're going to be doing something good, something helpful for somebody. Are you known for that now? Think about that, you know. God, God didn't really save you to be a sensation. God has saved you to be a servant. That is the most Christ-like thing you and I can do is to love other people as Christ loved us. The most Christ-like thing we can do is to love them enough to serve them and to help them. That's what the scriptures tells us. What's the meaning of life? It is it is it how long we live, how famous we become, or how rich we are at retirement? Jesus says that the measure of life is in our service. The good we do for others. Out of the spirit has come every Christian college, every Christian school, every Christian orphanage, and beneficial work in the world. George W. Tewitt, a great preacher, said, it is not the talents one has that makes him great. However many and brilliant they may be, It is not the vast amount of study that gives mental enrichment to the mind and to life. It is not in shining social qualities. It is not the large accumulation of wealth that secures peace and honor. In none of these, in none of these measured by God's standards, does greatness reside. The true greatness consists in the use of all the talents one has in unselfish service to others. Others. That's going horizontal. Loving my neighbor as myself. Loving my neighbor as Christ loved me. Going horizontal. There you see Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. It says, for we are God's trivet. We're God's trinket. We're God's showpiece. We're God's masterpiece. Don't get no better than that. We are God's masterpiece. And we are to represent him. For we are God's masterpiece. And he has created us anew in Christ Jesus. So we can do the good things he planned for us. When? Long ago. God has had a plan and he's had a purpose for your life long, 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 long time ago. Before you were even born, God had a plan for your life and, and, and you're his masterpiece. And he says to do good things. And he planned for you to good, do good things. To love your neighbors, you just have to go horizontal. If you don't know what else to do, do the best things, the most helpful things, the kindest things that you can do, and you're most like Christ. You're his masterpiece to act like him, to live like him. That's what he's talking about. Dr. Carl Menninger, the world-famous, world-famous psychiatrist, was answering questions after giving a lecture on mental health. When one person asked, what would you uh, 
advise someone to do if he felt a nervous breakdown coming on? You feel a nervous breakdown? What would your advice be? Now, most people expected the doctor, this world-famous doctor, to say consult a psychiatrist. But instead, he said, if you feel a nervous breakdown coming on, lock up your house, go across the railroad tracks, find someone in need, and do something to help that person. World-famous psychiatrist who gets paid big bucks to advise you? He said, go find someone who needs help and do something helpful to them and you won't have a nervous breakdown. Wow. There's an old song we used to sing. It's based on the scriptures and it goes, if you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be the servant of all. Think we could sing that together? I see one person say, yeah. Okay. If you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be the servant of all. If you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be the servant of all. And what percentage is all? Learn to be the servant of 100% of the people even if they're trying to rob you, you make them a sandwich and give them a couple of apples. If you want to be great in God's kingdom, that's pretty much the way Christ is. John chapter 9 verse 4 says, we must quickly carry out the task assigned us. Quickly carry out the task assigned us to love our neighbor as ourselves, to love our neighbor as Christ loved us. We must Quickly carry out the task assigned us by the one who sent us. The night is coming and then no work, no one can work. Now here's 10 ways to get rid of the blues. I don't know. You ever have the blues? So this is 10 ways guaranteed to get rid of the blues. First, you go out and you do something for somebody. It's easy enough, right? And then you repeat that nine times. (laughs) Guaranteed to get rid of the blues. You do something helpful to somebody, something nice, something kind of somebody, it's going to impact your life. Guaranteed. Because that's what we were created for. To go horizontal, to love our neighbor as ourselves, to love our neighbor as Christ loves us. You know, God does not comfort his people To make us comfortable. God comforts us. For what purpose? So then we can go and comfort others. He comforts us so we can become comforters to other people. Listen to what it says here in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 3. All praise to God. 100% of our praise should go to him. All praise to God. To God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all, 100% of all comfort. If you need comfort, the source of all comforting, it comes from God. 100% of it, that's where true comfort comes from. 
All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all, 100% of our troubles. He comforts us in all of our troubles. Why does he do that? So that we can comfort others. Has God ever comforted you? Because he wants you to know how to comfort other people. That's loving your neighbor as yourself. That's going horizontal. That's loving your neighbor, loving others the same way Christ loved us. So it says in verse 4, he comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. Now let me read that verse 4 one more time. I'm going to read to you in the Message Bible. It's a little enlightening here. He says, he comes alongside of us. God comes alongside of us when we go through hard times. You have never gone through a hard time alone. The Now, you may have not been aware of him. You, you may have even been resistant to him. But he tells us he comes alongside of us when we go through hard times. That's what he says. And before you know it, he brings us alongside someone else who is going through hard times so that we can be there for that person just as God was there for us. So whatever difficulties you've been through, you know that God will use that for you to be able to comfort others the same way he comforted you when you went through a difficult or hard time. It's like, and there's a lot of other people who have been through similar things as you're going through and he brought us there to comfort them so we can come alongside them the same way God came alongside us. Now, people are often happy in about the same degree that they're helpful. If you're very helpful, you'll be very happy. If you're very unhelpful, you'll be very unhappy. <laughs> because loving our neighbor, looking out, to, to help somebody, to love somebody, to be kind to somebody, dynamically will impact you and fulfill you and satisfy you in ways that you cannot imagine unless you've tried it. Even the world-famous psychiatrist says, you yeah, feel you know, a nervous breakdown coming on. Go out and do something kind for somebody. And it will just scare that nervous breakdown off. It ain't going to happen. That's what he's telling us here. In Acts chapter 10, verse 38, it says, And you know that God, Papa God, the Father, he anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And this power is amazing. And this power is available to you and me. Now, I don't know if you've ever had the privilege. Anybody ever been in a sailboat? Anybody been in a canoe? Which goes faster? The sailboat. It really does because now you got the power of the wind pushing the boat along. I used to have a little sailboat and it was fantastic. It was quiet and it was powerful. Genuinely was. And, and the Bible refers to the Holy Spirit as the wind, you know, at times. And when the Holy Spirit empowers us to do what we were created to do, it's not a struggle. It's not stressful. 
There's a power to get her done. And it says here, and you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And then Jesus went around doing what? He went around doing good and healing what? All. What percentage is that? Jesus went around doing good and healing all, 100%, who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. That's amazing when you think about that. All who were oppressed of the devil. And it says, Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Why did Jesus receive the Holy Spirit and power? To serve. To serve others. That's why he came to this earth. To serve. He left his riches and glory and he came here to serve. Jesus went around doing good. A lot of people just go around. Period. Not necessarily doing any good. But we have been challenged to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then to love our neighbor as ourselves to go horizontal, you know? And there's a lot of people in this world in which we live now who are oppressed of the devil. And he says he healed them all. They, they've been browbeaten, you know? They've been lied to, and they're, they're, they're broken, and they're hopeless and lost, and they're hurting. And, and God has given you the power of his Holy Spirit that the wind of God to empower you to get done what you couldn't have done in your own strength. You know, he empowers us to make a difference in other people's lives. These words of Emma Lazarus are written on the Statue of Liberty. Powerful, powerful words. It says, give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses, yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, tempest tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. Hmm. Do, do we have such a heart and an attitude to serve? The people who's in our sphere of influence, do we serve them? Do we try to heal those who are oppressed of the devil? Do we allow God's spirit and his power to help us to make a difference in other people's lives? John chapter 12, verse 32, it says, And when I, Jesus, the light of the world, and when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone, 100%, to myself. And he said this to indicate how he was going to die. He was going to be lifted up from the cross, on the cross, and then it was going to be lifted up in the resurrection. And he says, and when I'm lifted up, I'm going to draw all men, women, boys and girls, unto myself. And when we nudge people closer to Jesus, we're doing, we're, we're going horizontal. We're fulfilling what he's called us to do, our assignment. Now, Charles Swindle said, and I shared this with y'all a few years ago, that when Dawson Trotman, he's the founder of the Navigators, when he died, he was a very godly man, he probably left a legacy of discipleship on this earth that will never be matched except perhaps by the life of Jesus Christ himself. 
I've become a real student of Dawson Trotman, Charles Swindle said. And then after I read this article, I began to study about Dawson Trotman myself. And he says, and I believe wholeheartedly in the methods of discipleship that he taught and emulated throughout his days. He died in Shroon Lake, and that's not far from here. It's just going north, up in New York. He died in Shroon Lake. He died of all things in the midst of an area that he was an expert in. He drowned. He was an expert swimmer. In the last few moments he had in the water, he lifted one girl out of the water to the people in the boat. And he went down and he got the other girl. And he lifted her up out of the water. And then he submerged. And was not found again until the dragnet found him a few hours later. A man named Larson was on that boat when Trotman died. And he said the entire United States Navy couldn't have saved Trotman that day. It was just God's time. Time magazine ran an article of Trotman's life the next week. And they put a caption beneath his name and it read, always holding somebody up. Always holding somebody up. Can we do that? Can we hold them up in prayer? Can, can we, we lift them up from discouragement and doubts and fears that would pull them down? Regrets? On the Time Magazine, it says, always lifting somebody up. In one sentence, that was Trotman's life. Investment in people, in honesty, and humility, holding them up. I want to ask you, just think about it. Are you doing that? Are you, are you holding, are you lifting people up? Every day of our life, if you don't know what to do, well, uh, do something helpful. You know, lift up people because there's a tendency that we, we push them down, to be honest with you. First Peter chapter 4 verse 10 says, God has given each of us a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them to make a name for yourself. Oh, I'm sorry. I misread that. Use these spiritual gifts to make a fortune. Y'all are kind of mumbling, you know that. Might have something to do with the mask you're wearing or something, I think. But he says, use these gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Oh, you can use them. Make a name for yourself. You can do it. Use them to make a buck. But God says, use your spiritual gifts to serve one another. One of the most famous quotes from JFK... John F. Kennedy era, during his time, one of the most famous quotes was, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. And the tendency, lots of times people are like, well, what can you do for me? 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 But we should be asking ourselves, well, what can I do for him? What can I do for her? What can I do for him? What can I do for her? Let's paraphrase this a bit. I might go to meddling, though, if I do this, but I'm going to take the risk. Husbands, ask not what your wife can do for you. Ask what you can do for your wife. 
Wives, this brings the whole balance, and my wife's sitting there on the front seat, so pay very close attention. I'm getting in trouble already. That's what happens. Ask not what your husband can do for you. Ask what you can do for your husband, etc., etc., so forth. How many marriages would be saved if we focus on serving one another? This is a lesson that's hard to learn for some people. It's like, I want to be served, I want to be served, I want to be served. Instead of, what can I do to serve you? What can I do to serve you? These are truths that we can apply in our lives in some capacity. Romans chapter 12, verse 9 says, in the Message Bible, love from the center of who you are. Don't fake it. What happens if you fake something? It will soon be found out. I don't know. Have y'all heard a term in the last year or two about the fake news? Y'all have heard that too? Wow. A lot of it is fake. People lies here and there and up and down and left and right and north and south and east and west. There's a lot of fake stuff in this world going on. But God's word says, love from the center of who you are. Don't fake it. Run for dear life from evil and hold on for dear life to good. Don't let the good get away from you is what he's saying. And be good friends who love deeply and practice playing second fiddle. I I shared this passage about two weeks ago. Practice playing second fiddle. Practice, practice playing second fiddle. That's a a secondary or, or a substitute position. It's talking about practice surfing others. Practice surfing others because the more we practice surfing others, the better we'll get at it. And the more like Christ, we will become in serving others. And then it says, don't burn out. Keep yourselves fueled and aflame. Don't burn out. Let me see here. This is one of my favorite little toys here. This right here, you just take it and plug it in the wall. Real simple. You don't have to look for one of those square things or a little line or something. You just plug it in the wall. And guess what happens when your phone is about to burn out? You just pop that out, you know, right there, and you can charge this thing about seven times, you know? Wow, how about that? So I don't have to burn out. I can refuel. And, you know, and my computer, which is a laptop, this will give me at least a half an hour. If I'm working on something and I'm out somewhere else, I plug it into my computer. Don't let the thing burn out. Now, if we can refuel a cell phone, you think we can refuel something that God's telling us to do? When he says, don't burn out in doing good and loving people and being helpful to people. He says here in verse 11, don't burn out. Keep yourselves fueled and aflame. Be alert, servants of the master. Are you guys alert? Three of you are. Hey, thanks, guys. (laughs) Now, my son, who is a Marine, and he's always in extensive training, and, off, and I remember a few years ago, for some reason or another, 
he, he would miss planes or planes would, they just did crazy things. And he got stranded in places and he needed to be back in formation, you know, at oh dark 30 in the morning. He couldn't really wait for another plane to come in. There's a few times where we was at, we would grab him and drive him there. I would. Now he said, well, Dad, now every hour you stop and you let me drive through the night. You know, we'll switch off to that. But you know what dads have a tendency to do? I never knew about these things until then. These are those power drinks. You know, NOS, what's that stand for? High performance. This is why they put in race cars. You know, it's like, yeah, I could use some of that right now. And I could outrun Tony then when he's trying to catch me, you know. Tony, did you used to be a cop? Yeah, I thought so. But you know what? When I was getting really tired of night driving, hour after hour after hour, I would go. Wow. Woo. I was alert. We need some spiritual one of these things. You know what I'm saying? So what the Bible says is be alert. Don't fall asleep in the process of doing what God's called you to do. Woohoo! I feel like I'm going to doze off here while I'm preaching, so I better take another sip. Woo! Wow! It's got a little bit of kick to it. I forgot how much Kyle told me it had like a thousand times more or something that you actually needed to keep you awake, you know? Whoo, it maybe was 500 times. Anyhow, when it says here, don't burn out, keep yourselves fueled in flame, be alert, servants of the master. Are you alert? When God's going like, see that man over there? See that woman over there? See that child over there? Are we alert? Are we awake to what God's wanting us to do? To, to go horizontal, to love our neighbor, to be helpful to somebody, to comfort somebody, to be kind to somebody? Are we alert to do that? How do we spiritually just kind of go to sleep, you know? So we've got to find a way to get some spiritual one of these things here to wake us up, you know? Anyhow, it goes on to say, don't burn out. Keep yourself fueled and aflame. Be alert servants of the master. Cheerfully expectant. That's all about being faith-filled. Don't quit in hard times. Pray all the harder. Help needy Christians. Be inventive, be creative, imaginative, ingenious, you know, and resourceful in hospitality because we're in a pandemic. So we can't show hospitality like we used to completely. So we need to be a little creative in how to show hospitality, how to help somebody during this pandemic. And you can be as creative. God will give you inspiration on how to do this. If I can throw a single ray of light across the darkened pathway of another, if I can aid some soul to clearer sight of life and duty and thus bless my brother, if I can wipe from any human cheek a tear, I shall not have lived my life in vain while here. If I can guide some erring one to truth, inspire within his heart a sense of duty, if I can plant within my soul of rosy youth a 
sense of right, a love of truth and beauty. If I can teach one man that God and heaven are near, I shall not then have lived in vain while here. If from my mind I banish doubt and fear and keep my life attuned to love and kindness, if I can scatter light and hope and cheer and help remove the curse of mental blindness, if I can make more joy, more hope, less pain, I shall not have lived a, and loved in vain. If by life's roadside I can plant a tree beneath whose shade some wearied head may rest, Though I may never share its beauty, I shall yet be truly blessed. Though no one knows my name, nor drops a flower upon my grave, I shall not have lived in vain while here. Author unknown. And I think that's so appropriate that someone's saying, if I could just make a difference in someone's life or plant a tree that they could enjoy the shade, if I never even see the tree, I... My, my life would have counted for something. Is our life counting for something? As we're going horizontal, we're thinking of others. We're loving our neighbors ourselves. We're loving others the way Christ loved us. Whether anyone knows that you serve, God knows. Matthew chapter 25, verse 21 says, The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. It's a parable that shows us how Christ feels about us when we do what he has called us to do. An experienced surgeon addressed a question to a young intern assisting him during an operation Young man, he asked, whom do you consider the most important person in this room? The intern groped for an answer. He thought of responding, you are, sir. But he couldn't believe that his mentor would be that self-serving. So finally thinking he would sound gracious, the intern replied, well, I suspect it would be the nurses who assist you in such an efficient manner. And the surgeon shook his head, says, no, he said, the most important individual in this operating room is the patient. Oh, that makes sense, doesn't it? Most important person in this room that we're working on, it's the patient. The guy is on the table. Jesus has been trying to teach us this. As you read his word, you're going to see it over and over and over. This the most important, it genuinely is, it's, it's the others, it's, it's our neighbor, you know. It's those per- people who are hurting, you know, we're to love them as he loves them and to love them as he loves us. First John chapter 3, verse 18 says, Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let's show the truth by our actions. Actions, because actions speak louder than words, don't they? What you do, you know? We must prepare for action, though. You really do. Has anybody here been a Boy Scout? What's the Boy Scout motto? Be prepared. 
That's good advice. Be prepared. Be prepared for what? I like that. For anything. Be prepared to live like Christ. No matter what happens around about us. You know? Um, We prepare for years for our careers. We prepare for years for for marriage. We prepare. And and, uh, well, Henry Ford said it this way. He says, before everything else, getting ready is a secret to success. Prepare. John F. Kennedy says, the time to repair the roof is when the sun is shining. Prepare. Don't try to do it in the rain. Abraham Lincoln said, if I had six hours to chop down a tree, if I had six hours to chop down a tree, he says, the first hour I would use sharpening my axe. And believe it or not, I've had this little hatchet with this little sharpening tool sharp enough to shave with. Of course, I never shaved with it. You, know, you can tell that, right? But that's what he said. Prepare. You get your axe sharp before you got to cut down a tree, you know. That, that's, that's what Abraham Lincoln was talking about. Anybody here ever have a flat tire? A few of you have? Did you prepare for your future by fixing the flat tire? Or did you run around for a few months with a Flat spare. I I see some guilty looks on your face out there. It's best to prepare, isn't it? So if you do have another flat, or maybe somebody else has a flat, and your tire will fit their car. How about that, you know? Think about that, you know? Because what happens? A flat can take you out of action. So you prepare. And we prepare to love our neighbors ourselves. We prepare to go horizontal. We prepare to be helpful. We're on the lookout. How can I be helpful to somebody today? Wow. All heaven is waiting to help those who will discover the will of God and do it. Church members may be divided into three classes. Wishbones, jawbones, and backbones. The wishbones are always wishing and hoping that their church will somehow grow and fulfill God's will, but without their effort. Jawbones talk a lot, but do little. Backbones respond to the call to action and do the work and fulfill the will of God. You know, we often talk about waiting on the Lord. Have you ever used that term? I've heard a lot of people, well, we're just waiting on God. We're just waiting on God. But a better way to say that is God's waiting on me. He's waiting on me to take action. He's waiting on me to go horizontal. He's waiting on me to be helpful, to love my neighbor as myself, to love, love others as Christ loved me. He's waiting on me, you know. We have this book that tells us all about his his will. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 16 says, make the most of every, that, that will be 100% of opportunities, make the most of every opportunity in these evil days and don't act thoughtlessly. 
He wants us to act thoughtfully. Not thoughtlessly, but thoughtfully. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Now, research experts tell us that we communicate only 7% with our words. Now, that is a bummer for pastors. It's like, you know, I'm only communicating, I'm shooting for 100%, but I'm only communicating 7% by what I say? Whew. But research experts tell us that we communicate only 7% with our words, 35% with the tone of our voice. With our voice. The tone of our voice helps us to, you know, reach out, impact 35% more people, and 58% with our actions. Hmm. I've, I've heard that before. Actions speak louder than words. Is it not true? Absolutely it is. And God has called us to be men and women of action. We go horizontal. We're helpful. We're comforting. We're lifting other people up. That's what he wants us to do. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 2 says, The only letter of recommendation we need is you yourselves. Your lives are a letter. Everyone can read. Our lives are, are, are a letter? Some people will never read this thing. The letter that they read from God will be your life. That's how they're going to know about the things of God as they see it and they'll read it in your life. As the King James Bible says, you are a living epistle, which means you are a living letter. People are going to find out about the love and the kindness and the mercy and the grace of God by reading it in your life, seeing how you live. That's what he's talking about. What is our lives communicating? Psalms 119 verse 1, it says, Joyful are people of integrity who follow the instructions of the Lord. Joyful are those who obey or who use his laws. Uh, Obedience, you see, is the key that unlocks the door to every profound spiritual experience to obey God. To, to, to use his laws and his truths is key to experience the, the, the spiritual power that he has in store for, for you and me. Oswald Chambers says, the term obey would be better expressed by the word use. For instance, a scientist uses the laws of nature, not just obeys them, but he uses the laws of nature That is, he more than obeys them, he causes them to fulfill their destiny in his work. That is exactly what happens in the disciple's life. He uses the commands of the Lord and they fulfill God's destiny in his life. So as we obey the laws of physics and the laws of math and the laws of gravity and even the laws of driving on the interstate, you know, we're giving greater privileges. Well, what happens if we disobey those laws? Hey, I lose our driver's license, you know. You create something you didn't intend to create. So we, we, we obey or, or we use the laws of Almighty God and they bring about a transformation in us. 
And let me pick back up at verse uh, 2. It says, joyful are those who obey or who use his laws and search for him with, with what? All their heart. God, I'm sitting on the edge of my seat and I'm looking for you. He's like, what next, Papa God? What, what you got in store for us today? You're looking for God. You don't just bump into him once or twice a year, but you're on the, the move. You're, you're looking for God. And it says, joyful are those who obey his laws. And they search for him with all their heart. They do not compromise with evil and they walk only in his paths. You have charged us to keep or to use your commands carefully. Oh, that my actions would consistently reflect your decrees. Oh, oh, that my actions would consistently, always, constantly, you know, without fail, reflect your decrees. May God's word reflect through your life. May you be living letters, living epistles, as the Bible says. I got one more passage and we'll be done. In Romans chapter 8, verse 29... It says, for whom he did foreknow, and he knew who was going to accept him. He knew who was going to obey him, but he still gave us the choice. It says, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. He predetermined this about you and me, but we don't have to do what God predetermined. This is what he said. This is what I created you to do, but we still have a choice, and we can disobey him if we want to. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. That his son, Jesus, might be the firstborn, and we're the many numbers behind him, that Jesus might be the firstborn among many brethren. Now let me read it to you one more time out of the Message Bible, and we're done. God knew what he was doing from the very beginning. He decided from the outset for from the beginning to shape the lives of those who love him to shape our lives who love him along the same lines as the life of his son he determined this long time he was going to shape our lives along the same line as the life of his son the son stands first in the line of humanity he restored and listen to the last statement we see the original and intended shape of our lives. We see the original and the intended shape of our lives there in him. You want to see what God created you to do? Read and study the life of Christ. Discover more and more about him. Now, when we were teenagers, it's the first time I ever, ever heard do you remember WWJD, Susan? Yes. That was back way, 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 way back years ago. How many of y'all remember that? A lot of old people in here. And it just mean, what would Jesus do? Because that is God's shape for us. That's what God has designed you and I to be. Shaped after the design. Of Jesus Christ. So you want, well, what is my, my plan? What is my purpose? Just learn all you can about Jesus. 
It says, we see the original and intended shape of our lives there in him. Him is Jesus. That's the original and the intended shape of my life, of your life, is, the, is what we see in Jesus. And he left everything in heaven to come here to rescue you and me. He demonstrated love. Always lifting somebody up and kind and caring. That's Jesus. So when I'm talking about going horizontal to love our neighbor as ourselves, and then even a higher call than that, but Jesus says, love others as I loved you. And he was willing to die. Don't get burnt out. His Holy Spirit will empower us. The Holy Spirit will empower us to do things that we think we cannot possibly do. Even to the point of offering a sandwich and a couple of apples to an enemy. We can do that, which is, well, I can't do that in my natural strength when he's never called us to operate in our natural strength. He wants to fill us up. and He comforts us so we can comfort others. God's got special, fantastic things in store for you and me in what time we have left here on this earth. And he wants us to go, even today, to go horizontal to love our neighbor as ourselves. I'd like to pray for you before we dismiss here today. And uh, if you just bow your heads with me, and Susan, would you join me up here for a moment? I'll just really challenge each and every one of you to reaffirm your faith in Christ and declare that all you are and you ever hope to be, you give it to him and you choose to go horizontal. And maybe you don't know Christ. I would ask you to declare your faith for the first time today, whether you're in the building or you're watching us online, would you declare your faith in him and Surrender your all to him. Would you pray with me out loud? Would you pray? Heavenly Father. Heavenly Father. I believe that you love me. I believe that you love me. That's why you sent your son Jesus. That's why you sent your son Jesus. And I believe he gave his life for me. And I believe he gave his life for me. To wash all my sins away. To wash all my sins away. I believe that Jesus rose from the dead. I believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And he's knocking at the door of my heart. And he's knocking at the door of my heart. And I open wide that door. And I open wide that door. And I welcome Jesus inside. And I welcome Jesus inside. Of every area of my life. Of every area of my life. I welcome him as my Savior. I welcome him as my Savior. As my Lord. As my Lord. And as my King. And as my King. And I want to become more and more like Jesus. I want to become more and more like Jesus. In all the areas of my life. In all the areas of my life. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.